0: Thank you for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table and this episode is being recorded at the very end of the year 2017 is wrapping up and we are launching into 2018 and so I hope everybody is ready to achieve great things in the new year because you've got a lot of potential you know as entrepreneurs there's a lot of things that we can reach and that's why I'm going to encourage you now is the best time ever I talk about it all the time the best time ever to check out the potential mastermind group this is an online Group. We have a weekly Skype call where you can see everybody, talk about what you're trying to achieve in your career, and get a little accountability and some fresh ideas from other people on what you can do. You can jump over to PotentialMastermind.com and find out all the details. If you have any questions, email me at Tom at TomSinger.com. I'm happy to answer the questions because people tell me all the time, I'm not sure if this is the right thing for me. And you know what? It's not right for everybody. But if it's right for you, why be alone in the new year when you can have a small but mighty group of people who will help you think, focus, really try to build your influence, reach potential, and take action? So today's episode is like most of the episodes. I've invited somebody I admire onto the show because I think when we hear people's stories, their journeys of how they got to where they are and what they're doing, I think it can trigger inspiration in every single one of us. So today I've got Jeremy Ryan Slate. With me. And it was funny, I went to Google him and I just Googled Jeremy Slate. And apparently there was some now dead actor named Jeremy (laughs) Slate. (laughs) <laughs> See, he's laughing. Who comes up first? And I thought that's so funny because I've, I've met this guy and he's all of like 30 something. There's 20 no, something. There's no way he's a dead 70 year old actor. And I had to dig a little deeper. And I realized that's why he goes by Jeremy Ryan Slate, because dead character actor Jeremy Slate had taken over the Internet. And I'm sure that our Jeremy here with us today is working to reclaim that top spot on Google. So Jeremy Slate, welcome. To cool things entrepreneurs do.
1: Tom, what is up, man? You know, that stupid poser, he was born um, Robert Pelham from uh, Atlantic City, New Jersey. And then his acting name took Jeremy Slate. And I'm like, oh, man, Google has hated me for like five years. So I'm finally um, ranking for using my middle name. So uh, it's it's funny you picked up on that. We were in high school. I had one of my buddies send me a picture. He goes, who is this guy that thinks he's you? And he was from the uh, TV show Bonanza back in the day. But uh, Tom, I'm stoked to be hanging out with you today. I know we met at New Media Summit earlier this year, and uh, also honored to be on uh, one what uh, Inc. called one of the top eight podcasts to uh, watch in the next year or so, man. That's right. I was really uh, surprised all of a sudden I got my little Google alert.
0: I didn't even know that that was necessarily coming. I got my little Google alert for my name and and I, I checked into it and it was like, you know, one of the eight podcasts that entrepreneurs should be listening to in 2018. So if you're listening, you're obviously following really good advice from Inc.com. So, uh, so Jeremy, tell everybody who you are and what you do. I don't really like long bios. So I like people
1: to sort of describe their own business in their own words. Absolutely. So I'm a podcaster going on about two years now. I've done 350 episodes and podcasting is really what I've done full time. I, I come from a digital marketing background. Um, and if you want to go even further back, my, my original goal was to be a college professor. So I got my master's in ancient history, studied literature at Oxford, um, but then somehow found myself years down the road in podcasting. And uh, I also run a, a podcast PR agency called Command Your Brand Media, um, where we help people get booked on podcasts and help to tell their story in a way where it's friendly to both of them, their own story and also the show they're being on.
0: So now tell me, let's back up just just, a, just a quick step. What is your podcast that you've done 350 episodes and how many times a week? If you've only done two years, because I'm pushing 350, but I'm twice a yeah. week, I'm at three years. Are you a three day a week show? Tell us about it.
1: Yeah, it, it's funny. I forgot to tell you the name of that, man. It's called Create Your Own Life and it actually came from a conversation I have with my dad, which was um, after I quit my teaching job He's like, what do you want to do with your life? And I'm like, I want to create my own life. And he was like, good luck, buddy. So I kind (laughs) of held on to that for a little bit. And um, it originally started as a three day a week show. We had a period of about 60 days where I went to five days a week. And um, the show quality kind of suffered. I was getting burnt out and I wasn't really having fun anymore. So I went back to three days a week. And we've been doing that for over two years now.
0: No, that, that's awesome. In fact, I tell everybody, they ask, why are you a two-day-a-week show? And, and I have a production company that I use, and I said, because I couldn't afford the three-day-a-week or I would have done three. <laughs> I, think, I think if you're going to start a podcast, I think two or three days a week is the way to do it. I, I was counseling someone the other day who was in my coaching group, the, the Potential Mastermind Project, and they were talking about wanting to start a podcast, and they go, yeah, I think I'm going to do it once a month. And I said, okay, that's awesome, but let's talk about this. I didn't really start getting good at it, nor did I start getting traction, like things like I was written up an in ink There was another article in Entrepreneur last year. Uh, These things didn't start happening until I got to around 300 shows. So if you do one show a month, at the end of the year, you'll have 12 shows. So it's going to take you like 30 years to get to where you really start getting good. I think there's some magic number around 300 where it's like, oh, man, I could do this show.
1: Well, what number did you feel comfortable at Tom because like for me like I didn't feel like I could conduct a great interview till it was like 250 yeah so like, I really felt like I have it down what was that for you so it's about the same so when I first became a professional speaker which is how I make my living I
0: speak at conferences and uh, company meetings and things like that and I, I do a lot of that I did I think like almost 50 different clients and 82 presentations uh, I was on the road about 125 days last year and people go oh that's too many days and I'm like no it depends on your how you look at it right I mean we're two years away from being empty nesters my wife wife's going to start coming with me on a lot of these trips. So, I don't I don't mind the travel and I love what I do, but when I first started in the business about a decade ago, somebody said it would take you about 300 Professional level speeches on a stage. And the way she defined professional speeches, her name was Roxanne Emmerich, and she's a legend in the speaking business. She now owns a giant consulting company and training company uh, in the financial services world. But when she, you know, 10 years ago, I read an article and she was quoted in the article saying, You have to give 300 of these before you're ever going to be good. Doesn't matter if you think you're good, doesn't matter if audiences like you, if you're getting booked, somewhere around 300 speeches. You start to be able to handle anything that'll come your way. You're able to be, you know, just sort of yourself on stage. The lights go out or there's a fire alarm or whatever happens. It comes with experience. It was, she compared it to sort of Malcolm Gladwell and the 10,000 hours theory. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of thought, oh, 300, that's so far away. Well, now I'm at like 700 speeches. And it's true, somewhere around 250 or 300, I got comfortable uh, in my own skin as a presenter. When I started the podcast, I figured it was probably going to be about the same, and the truth is as I closed in on 300 episodes, people started saying, wow, your interviews are getting so much better, and I started taking that interview skill onto stage because I'm also a master of ceremonies, and I'd work it out with the client that – you know instead of doing q and a let me come back and be with the speaker and i'll ask the questions we'll get some from the audience we'll get them to tweet them in but i'll go and ask the questions and when I, when i have the opportunity to do this audiences are like that was the best part of the speech that was so awesome how do you have
1: that skill and i'm like 300 podcast interviews so yeah it takes a while well i think it's a massive massive life hack right like it's like this thing that that i feel like a lot of my personal conversations have gotten better um also the the, the biggest thing too is like As an interviewer, you have to be able to kind of take a lot of your own like wanting to talk about yourself out of it. And kind of redirected an interest in what the person's doing. And I just find like that's been a huge, huge, like, just gain in my life from that. So it's just – I really think anybody should have a podcast. But anyway. Well, <laughs> you know, I actually don't think everybody should because – Well, not uh, everybody, but a lot of people, it would help them.
0: But but I do think just – but you have to be dedicated to it, right? I mean it's like if I, if I had just done 40 episodes – the original plan was 50 episodes. I, I don't know that it would have had the impact on my life and my career that that Cool Things has had because now that we've hit this three-year mark. So – so you've been doing this. What sort of led you though? You went in to be a, to be a history professor, right? You studied this. Mm-hmm. You went to Oxford. You did this. So what led you to become an entrepreneur? Why did you have this conversation with your dad? Why did you say to heck with teaching?
1: Well, I'll tell you what. This is like a backstory. I've been a podcast listener for like since like o four when like it was like kind of difficult to actually find podcasts or even know what they were. So <laughs> I wasn't even iTunes. How, how was there podcasts without iTunes? Um, you could actually find them online and there was a different word for them. I forget what the heck they were called, but you could actually go and download them online as like audio stories, as like RSS feeds in different places before it like really got to be a big deal with podca- with uh, like podcasting. And because of like, you know, XLR hookups and USBs and all this stuff, like not really being perfected, like anybody that was doing them, it was like the biggest pain in the butt. So we, we, have, it, we have it easy nowadays. <laughs> so, so I've been in that, that space for a really long time. Um, And the original goal for me was to be a college professor. And I applied to to one school for PhD program, which was NYU. I didn't get in. And it was kind of like, all right, so what do you do as a failed college professor now? So I ended up actually (laughs) trying to figure out what I was going to do. And um, it was kind of a year of figuring things out. I had been managing a gym for about eight years on the weekends. And I had also been um, painting houses for a friend of mine. So I spent about I think about four or five months working 18 hour days doing those two things. And I was like, wow, this kind of stinks. I never really want to do this again. And um, I actually ended up teaching at a high school for a couple of years, which I burnt out very, very quickly there. Um, And at 24, my mom then had a massive stroke and um, she lost her language skills. She lost the ability to use the right side of her body and she'll really never be able to work again. And it's funny because at 19, I actually had um, been playing football, stepped in a drain and uh, I tore three major ligaments in my knee, which was supposed to be an easy surgery, um, and it was not. I actually had uh, I had lung failure. I had um, I received last rites from the priest, and like I had told you, I didn't change my life at all. It didn't change my life until it actually was somebody outside of myself being my mom, and I was kind of like, "Wow, okay, this this life thing can can leave us at any minute," and. I my wife was then approached about a network marketing opportunity. I had no idea what it was. I was like, oh man, I'm gonna make a million bucks like next week. This is great. How is not everybody doing this? (laughs) Needless to say, that didn't happen. Um, But it was at least something to allow me to think with a little bit more than what I've been doing. And I think like a lot of people that just get into entrepreneurship, I tried a lot of things, Tom. I tried um, network marketing. I was pretty successful at it, made a decent amount of money. But it was never enough to really you know, do what I wanted to do. So then I went into um, selling life insurance. I uh, sold products on Amazon. I built websites. And I actually ended up working at somebody else's company as a content marketer for a little while, which allowed me the time and freedom to start the Create Your Own Life podcast. And then I went from having no business to a six-figure business. And now I'm trying to figure out what that next level looks like. Hmm. That's fascinating. Now, I have a question for you.
0: Why did you only apply to one school? For your Ph.D. like uh, like I, I know a young man who just started a Ph.D. program and the school he was at wanted him to stay there, which is uncommon, I guess. But if you're a genius, I guess they want you. But he still applied to several schools just in
1: case things didn't didn't come together. What do you think it was that you only applied to NYU? Because it was kind of like this half-hearted thing, right? Like I only got into grad school because it was like, all right, I'm out of undergrad. What do you do now? Well, like, I guess you go to grad school. You know what I mean? It was more or less like – and I only applied to one grad school. I just happened to get in. So it, it, it really wasn't re- this like wholehearted thing because it wasn't my dream. Right. It I was, was going to say, do you think it this idea – was my parents' dream. I was
0: going to say, do you think this idea of being a college professor wasn't really in your soul?
1: Yeah, it's it's cool, but I'm I I'll be honest with you, man. I'm not like that stuffy of a dude, so it's kind of like I don't know if I could have done that the rest of my life. Though I love history and I love learning, I just don't know if I could have ever like lived my life like that. I
0: say I don't know. You'd probably be the coolest professor on campus. Everybody'd want to take your class. I think that would have been. I think there would have been some students who would have would have scored, but but your ladder would have been against the wrong wall. And so many people I talk to who listen to this show and who I meet, and myself included, you know, several years back, they end up putting their ladder against whatever wall and climbing that ladder. And then later around my age, around 40 or 50, they're like,
1: what the hell am I doing? So, I mean, maybe you were blessed that you didn't get in. Well, and here's the thing, too. Like, if I didn't have that experience of, like, almost losing a parent, like, in my early 20s, I I would have probably just kept doing that. You you know what I mean? Like, it it took this, like, massive life-changing experience, which which you think me almost dying myself would have been, but it wasn't. Um, It was almost losing a parent that really made me look at, you know, what does life mean? no I, I fully understand
0: i uh, my
1: youngest daughter went through some very serious stuff as an infant she's
0: fine now she's sixteen she's straight A student you know she's she's fabulous, but it didn't start out that way she had to have her entire skull rebuilt at six months old and I think that wow. was I think that was sort of a pivotal moment for me because it realized that wow, this life stuff can be hard. Uh, even though I lost a parent at 18, I, I never really had experienced anything that was quite, kind of as heavy as what we went through with Kate. So, so I get it. There's certain – you know, uh, a business coach that I'm working with calls it a flashpoint. There there's certain things that, that sort of change your trajectory. So I, I, I get that. So that's what sort of led you – that's sort of your story that led you there. But now that you've been doing this for a few years and you've grown a successful business out of your podcast, what is it that you love about the life of entrepreneurship?
1: It's kind of interesting because I feel like it does allow us a lot of opportunities and freedom that we don't always have. You know, I can go. Um, so in 2015, I actually got to spend a month in Peru for Rotary International, um, where I was doing a service trip and and helping with you know getting clean water and raising money and things like that. And if I worked for somebody else, Tom, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So I think that's something really interesting. Is it allows us to be able to. To have more freedom with our time and also give it differently. But here's the thing: if if I want to make more money in my business, I can just hire more people who I like can work harder. You, you know what I mean? At a job that, that just it's not really an option. It's not really something that we, we are able to do. And that's you know a, a job may work for some people, but it doesn't work for me because I also don't do well with the authority of others. I don't I don't know if you're like that as well. And so sometimes to be able to do things on our own terms just can mean a lot more as well.
0: So are there any days, though, come on, you've been doing this for a couple of years, are there any days where you look around and think, I could be teaching high school or college and have benefits and have you know a little more structure in my life? Are there ever days where you think, mm, maybe I should have stayed?
1: No, um, no because, um, I know because school is really different than when I was in school now and I was kind of shocked. And I'm not even that old, man. I'll be thirty in, 31 in May. And um, But it was kind of crazy because they, they, these kids push you so hard to like try and get a yell at them so they can put you on YouTube or something. So it's just like <laughs> that was the direction my life was going. Anything's better than that. So at this point in time, my worst day is still better than my my best day uh, at having a job. Um, you know, especially teaching. <laughs> so Jeremy, there's a lot of people who listen to this show who who they feel their
0: ladders against that that proverbial wrong wall. So what advice do you have for somebody who wants to maybe become a solopreneur and start something like becoming a, a podcaster, or a speaker, or a consultant, or maybe they want to start a, a small business, or maybe they have an idea that could scale. They want to start a big business. What advice do you have for somebody who who wants to make that move from working for somebody to doing their own thing?
1: Well, I've kind of done it both ways, Tom. The, the, the way where I jump in both feet and just go for it, and I've done it the other way where I work for somebody else and start something on the side. And I feel like the advice that I always give now just based on my life experience is – you know, started as something on the side because the thing is, is you make better decisions when you don't have to survive off of everything you're doing here, and you can really be creative and really build something great. Um, and you don't have to worry about it as much making your next meal. Whereas I made a lot of really poor decisions when like this had to be everything for me. It was just kind of a natural transition of of when you know this thing grows big enough, when I have enough revenue, when I have it's not quite enough revenue. It wasn't quite enough revenue when I jumped but it it was close enough. So I th- I think really you know starting something alongside what you're already doing is not a bad idea. Just you know you work longer hours in the beginning, you 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 put in more time and failure won't really kill you, which I think is the important thing to look at.
0: Yeah, and you know failure's not a bad thing. I mean if you if you look historically at all these people we admire in business, a lot of them were mired with failure early on or in the middle or or something like that and we see them and we think oh what an overnight success and even for me as as a speaker 2017 was my best year it's the year I've sort of wanted for almost a decade in the business and there's a lot of people who've reached out to me who suddenly know who I am they didn't see me the previous 8 years and they're like oh I want to I want to do what you do and I'm like great do you have 8 years because there is no there is no shortcut and so it's the old joke about you know the overnight success
1: that took a decade Exactly, and, and that's the biggest thing. Like, even with a podcast, like I didn't start seeing success, man, until I was a year in. And I and I get people. You may get this too, where people talk to you and you're like, "I want to monetize my podcast," and it's like, "Great, you have nothing to monetize yet." And I think that's the biggest thing you have to con- you have to consider is create something of value to others first. I did that for a year before I kind of figured out how I was going to make money off of this thing. Well, we're going to have to talk
0: offline because I don't monetize mine in, in sort of traditional ways. Now, that being said, there's a lot of people – and when I say a lot, like five – who have listened to my show on and off for years who then when their company is having their sales meeting, they say, hey, you know, we should look at this guy. And so I've actually picked up like four or five pieces of business from people who know of me because of the show. So that's sort of how I've monetized it. But uh, I'll have to uh, offline sort of pick your brain on, on what I need to be doing now that I've been doing this for a while and I have a, a decent listenership.
1: Well, the one thing I've looked at, Tom, is is just just as a, a side note, is this idea of playing at paying a fat, flat rate. It's like a tongue twister. Flat rate per episode is like a sponsor fee. So i found like companies that work really, really well with my message and we just do a flat rate per episode because right now the going rate in the industry is, is CPM or cost per thousand. So unless you're entrepreneur on fire or a show like that, it's the only way you're gonna make money. Right. So I, I that's kind of the one thing that I've done to really monetize the show and it, it kind of works well for everybody. Hmm. Fascinating. So Entrepreneurship's
0: hard. I mean, this is the thing that, you know, from the outside looking in, sometimes people don't see or maybe they think it's harder than it is. I don't know, but I think that a lot of people, not everybody, but I think a lot of people have an idea and they have a lot of potential. And 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 I've been doing a lot of study of sort of human potential and the, this gap between potential and results. And, you know, the the reality is is that just because you have potential for something doesn't mean you're going to kick ass in it. It's, potential does not equal results. So what can entrepreneurs do? To move themselves across that gap. How can entrepreneurs have a better shot at living up to their potential for their idea? What can they do?
1: Well, here's the biggest thing I've found, Tom, and this is just from, you know, again, from life experiences, auditing who's around you. Like, who are the people that are in my circle? Because I found a lot of times the people that I was surrounding myself with didn't believe in anything I wanted to do. And just, you know, from a basic level. it's kind of like you're not going to see yourself be very successful with other people that don't want to see you successful. So that, for me, was kind of the biggest tip I always give everybody is check out who's around you. Make sure these are people that support you. Make sure these are people at least on the same mission because I I think that really has a lot to do with the success we have. I I know it's said over and over again that the the, the quote from Jim Rohn that you are the the average of the five people you spend the most time with, but it's so true. And I think really just figuring out who's around you. If you look at my circle of friends, let's say – I guess at this point, like six or seven years ago, we are so different. You know, I had one of my friends when I first jumped into network marketing say that he was going to do whatever he had to do to see I fail. That's kind of scary. And <laughs> and you really need to understand who's around you and, and what they're doing, what they want for you, and that you can actually support each other.
0: So that's so funny because, you know, what kind of friend says, I hope you fail? I mean, that's... Exactly. <laughs> you know, but, but, but here's the deal. So I, I got laid off from a job in, in the bottom of the recession, April 2009, and... You know, years later, once my speaking career had like legs and, you know, people, the speaking business is weird. People see it as one thing based on the conferences they go to. So they don't actually see the scope of what it is. But I ran into someone who I used to work with and he's like, God, I've been following you on Facebook and stuff. And wow, you know, you have a legit speaking business. And I'm like, yeah, I was kind of proud. I'm like, thank you. And he goes, you know, all of us sat around after you announced this is what you were going to do. And we kind of took bets of how long till you'd have to go get a job. And I thought, wow. I'm sure he meant that as a compliment. Like, you know, but it's like, why would you tell me that, that my friends sat around thinking, <laughs> he's not going to make it?
1: Exactly. And, 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 and I think really that is the biggest thing that may be stopping you from success is those people that don't have the best interest for you. And you just really want to surround yourself with people that want to be successful as well so you can actually lift each other up rather than tear each other down. Well,
0: I think sometimes you hang out with those people or you work with them or however you know them and you don't know behind your back they're 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 taking, you know, they're taking wagers on how long till you fail. The vibes from that, I think come through too. So sometimes you don't even have to know they're against you. If they're against you, they're not the right people to to have yourself around and you know, I found the same thing and I love that quote from Jim Rohn and I and I you know, I always I always quote him and I always use it the much overquoted quote from Jim Rohn and I always joke with the audience and now I'm going to quote it. You know, that whole thing about the five people you hang out with that's the sum of who you are. I think it's true and I find that when I surround myself with people who are up the ladder, I climb the ladder. If I surround myself with people who are equal or down the ladder, I don't go anywhere. So I think you're right on right on the money with that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I, I think like being around people that actually their level of success scares you, like like meaning that it's that much higher, kind of makes you sweat a little bit, makes you work a little harder. And to me, I'd rather be around people like that.
0: So I'm part of a, a great mastermind group. In fact, we like to say like within our, our little realm of speakers who are active in the National Speakers Association, we like to think that we're like the best of all the little mastermind groups that we know of that are out there, but that's just our own personal ego, but the fact of the matter is is that we've all seen a lot of success. Our, our group started off with five people, there's still four, and we're like siblings. I'm, I'm taking a vacation. My wife and I are taking a vacation with one of the people from that group and her husband, and the other two aren't going, but they're totally cool that we're going, so we are like a family, right? We don't have to do everything together, and everything is awesome, but the woman who put the group together she has been asked how did you combine these four people who weren't your friends and four years later you're like siblings and she said something that resonated with what you said she goes I looked for people who scared me and- <laughs> And and it wasn't that we necessarily were higher in business or th- this and that, but you know she looked for people who had a different level of commitment to their family or a different level of commitment to the business world or the speaking industry or whatever it was. And she goes, you know, being around those people would challenge me to be better. And she put a group together where that was true for all of us. They 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 scared me too, so it worked out awesome to join them. And and I think that when you can surround yourself with a core. People like that who have your best interest at heart. They're they're looking to, to help push you along. You know, I think that's awesome. And that's what I've tried to take into this little coaching group that I do, this potential mastermind group is, you know, the other people should scare you. And that's an awesome thing. So I, I'm really glad that you brought that up. Hey, Jeremy, I've got a couple more questions for you. I'm not gonna let you go yet. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Jeremy Ryan Slate. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and we know a lot of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Jeremy, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What is the
1: coolest thing you're doing in your business these days? It's funny because I think it's the most basic, but it's actually getting to talk to really high-level successful people. I had to interview um, one of my favorite footballers. Players recently, um, who was uh, Sean Merriman back from uh, when he played with the Chargers, the fastest guy ever to 45 sacks. So I think the 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 fact that I get to talk to people that I just thought before were like totally unreachable, like a couple times a week, that's pretty incredible. And I, I get it that it's kind of the more basic thing I do, but it's kind of that thing that I enjoy the most in in what I do every day. So if people, you know, people who listen to podcasts
0: are the best people to market your podcast to. If somebody's like, "Ooh, I want to check out his podcast." What's it all about? What's your show about? What makes it cool?
1: I interview people that created life on their own terms because basically my whole thing was I was living somebody else's dream. What do I want to do? And I'm going to go out and do that. So I look at people that have been successful at the highest level, and they maybe didn't do it quite the traditional way. And I just find it to be really, really interesting, and I'm able to help support a lot of people that are making that leap. And originally it was for somebody that was building a six-figure business, but I feel like my audience has changed as I've changed. And and now I'm trying to talk to people that want to build – um, you know, that that seven figure business. So I'm trying to get even more high level advice for them from other people. That's awesome.
0: So I think that entrepreneurs, I think, you know, I think entrepreneurs are great observers. So I love to ask everyone who comes on this show, who else not Jeremy, who else out there, not you or your company, but who's another entrepreneur who you see, and they're doing something cool, they're crushing it. And you think, wow, I admire them.
1: Without a doubt, Elon Musk. Um, I just think everything that man has done is incredible. I just finished his uh, autobiography um, by Ashley Vance, which was awesome. And it's just to see like how big this guy thinks. I'm like, wow, I want to do that. Like, it, it's it's kind of incredible because he produces things at a high level, but he almost comes at it from a bit of a childlike point of view. Like, I want to go to space. Like, we don't think, you know, as I guess terrestrial humans that that's possible. Elon's doing it, and I, and I just think that's so incredible to think to look at somebody that thinks that big picture. What I think
0: is amazing is sort of all the different businesses that he's involved with, right? It's like I can barely keep up with my one little soul opener on enterprise, and it's like, God, the guy's got like six businesses that are doing things that are totally different, and I think that's amazing.
1: Well have you, have you seen recently what he's doing um for that for the hyperloop he wanted to build the yeah. first thing he's doing is doing like a tunnel test so he built his own tunneling company called the boring company which is by far the best double entendre name i've ever heard um <laughs> So he's been selling hats that say the boring hat. So he sold 60,000 hats in about a week and changed his Twitter bio to hat salesman.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Well, you know, it's interesting because what you described about him of what you admired is so funny because I've only met you once, but I've stalked you a little bit. And that's actually how I would have described you. I think you have this childlike excitement and this like boom in your personality that uh, that's the same way I would describe you. So maybe in you know several years, people will be like, Tom, how did you ever get the chance to interview Jeremy Slate? Because by then we will have crushed that actor who shared the name.
1: You know, it's well, not. Can I, can I- can I tell you one little, little little, joyful thing about that? There was a fan site that was still up for him until about two years ago, and about six months ago, somebody stopped paying their hosting, so I bought JeremySlate.com, and that was a very proud moment for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just going to say, he's dead. It's not like he's doing anything else. He's not contributing anymore.
0: Eventually, you're just going to drive it down, and it's like, people are going to go, no, Jeremy Slate, Tom, you, you had him on cool things. How did you ever do that? And I'll be like, yeah, I know, I know the best people. <laughs> so the last question I ask everybody on the show is how do you give back to the greater good? Because I think true entrepreneurs want to do more than just make money. I, I think they want to leave an impact. And I love to hear the different and really kind of exciting ways that people who come on this
1: show do something to, to help our society. So, so what do you do? Absolutely. So I'm involved with the the foundation for a drug free world. And I I really just find that that is one of our biggest struggles as a society, even as some of these things become more acceptable than they they really should. And I, I just feel like that's one of the biggest things that can hamper success is just kind of being in this bubble of what's, you know, not really happening around you. So we're all about going into schools and talking to kids and really helping to raise awareness of what these things actually do to you to really help people be successful to get this stuff out of their lives.
0: I mean that's that's awesome because you are right. A lot of it's becoming more and more normalized, and people say, "Oh, it's just this," or "It's just that," and it's like, "Yeah, I know people who've been you know beaten down from just this or just that." So I think that's a a wonderful cause. Well, thank you. Hey, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, "I, I got to know more about
1: this guy," how do, how do they find you? Absolutely. Well, they can find out anything um, personal brand related over at JeremyRyanSlate dot because, like I said, we have to use my middle name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you own jeremyslate.com. dot com. Well, it, it they redirects now. Yeah, so they can use that. <laughs> there you go. I, great, thanks for reminding me. Um they can also go to jeremyslate.com. Um and if they're interested in anything on the business side, um I put together a checklist on how they can get themselves on podcasts and get to be a great podcast guest over at slash checklist Oh, that is awesome. Well, Jeremy Ryan Slate or better known now as Jeremy
0: Slate. Hey, thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on the show, helping kick off 2008 with some really good inspiration. I think everyone who listened to this episode, you know, I think you got them fired up about the things that they can do, and I think you've done a good job of, of creating your own path in the world, and that's what we like
1: to admire around here. So thanks for being on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Tom, and, and uh, I hope now Forbes will pick you up after Inc.
0: Well, that's right. That's the, that's the next step, from your, from your lips to God's ears. So uh, everybody, I say at every show, thanks for listening because if it wasn't for the audience why would we even have this show so I really appreciate it the audience is growing do me a favor if you like this show jump over to iTunes and leave a review because one of the ways the show gets found is if people are commenting about it also tell your friends on social media hey I listened to this podcast maybe you'll like it check out the interview with Jeremy Ryan Slate awesome stuff that stuff just makes my day better when I see someone doing that or go like I said go leave that review because uh, when the show's new a lot of people leave reviews but I don't get very many now so you can put a smile on my face for taking that you know 30 seconds and reviewing us on iTunes. Check out check check me out at tomsinger.com. That's thomsinge rcom But much like our friend Jeremy, if you spell Tom T-O-M-Singer.com, you're still going to find me because I own that too and it redirects. So <laughs> you're not the only one with a little redirection going on. So that's good. Uh, and then uh, you can always follow us on Facebook. We're on Twitter at cool podcast. Uh, And you can find me on LinkedIn. All the regular social areas were there. So uh, thanks again for being on the show. Join the Potential Mastermind group. Go to PotentialMastermind.com. But what I'd really like you to do is come back in a couple of days because we're going to have another interview with somebody just as cool as Jeremy. But in the meantime, you go out there and have a great day.